What makes you angry? I know, I know you don't want to admit it. I know that you, I, but I know you get angry. I know that because I do too. <laughs> and there are some things that, that make me angry. I kind of thought through a little bit uh, this week. What sort of things do? And I sort of came up with my David Letterman top ten list. You know, the top ten things that, that sort of make me angry. Number ten, parking tickets. Parking tickets maybe. I don't know why, but if I get a parking ticket, I feel like it's such a cry of injustice, you know? It's somebody who, who snuck by, didn't even have the decency to give it to me while I was standing there. Which reminds me of number nine, paying to park. Also bothers me. I, the whole idea of paying to park your automobile seems like, well, it just seems so wrong, doesn't it? I like the UK. They call parking lots car parks. Have you ever heard that? Car park? Whenever I hear that, I always think of the, these cars on swing sets and going down the slides. You know, they're in a park, they're having fun, frolicking. That's what cars should do. They should be paid, you know, charged to, to park. Number eight, missing tools. When I go out to my garage and open up my toolbox and, you know, the vice grips that I know should be like in the second drawer are not there. Oh, oh, it, it, it makes me enraged. And, and I live in a house where there are these... For wannabe young men, you know, they, they want to grow up, and so they, they discover tools, and they're going to take them and use them. I can't tell you how many times I've been mowing the lawn and almost, you know, run over a hammer in the grass. Oh, that just gets me. It's right. It's one of the, uh, number um, number seven. Anytime the Browns lose to Pittsburgh, yeah. You can tell I've been angry a lot in the last several years, haven't you? Which uh, number six? Anytime the Buckeyes lose to Michigan. And we didn't yesterday. We killed them. Um, uh, number five, a wet newspaper. Really? You can't get the newspaper into that little slot that keeps it dry, you know, underneath the mailbox? Can you not? Okay. Um, so, uh, number four, any time a referee makes a bad call, which is basically any time they make a call against my team. You know, those are things. Uh, number three, my own stupidity. You know, that really gets me. When I do something dumb and I know that I have no one to blame but myself, oh, that's the worst kind. Um, number two, disobedient children. Likewise, I stay angry a lot. And, um, and number one, child abuse. I, I find that to be the thing that makes me the most angry. When I watch on television or read in the newspaper or, or hear of a story where someone who's truly innocent uh, suffers, because someone has lost their temper or whatever. That really angers me. There are probably other things, too. I mean, things I've forgotten on this list. Um, but there are things I don't get angry about that a lot of people do. I feel kind of good about this. I don't get angry when somebody cuts me off in traffic. It's usually because I'm the cut-off-er more than the cut-off-e, and so I sort of understand that. Um, uh, so that doesn't really bother me. It doesn't bother me when telemarketers call. I've had a lot of crummy jobs in my life, so I know what it's like when, you know, somebody has a job. These people don't really want to do this. I mean, they're, they're struggling to survive, and so when they call, I talk to them. Ask them if they have weekend plans, you know, and how the weather is, wherever they're living. And, and they quit calling because they think I just want to talk all the time. Um, so, uh, you know, I don't get angry about politics. I know a lot of people get really angry about politics, but I don't. I don't get angry because I don't believe any of them. I know that they're all lying to me. I used to get really angry about it because I believed that they were telling me the truth. And then they would get elected and they wouldn't do what they said they would do. And, and I get disappointed and angry. But I don't. I get angry about systemic injustice. I get angry about systemic injustice and my own deeply flawed human character. Those are the things that make me really angry. But I'm not without passion. 
You know, when I do get angry, I try to make it count. <laughs> you know, I, I, I mean, I, I, I kind of do. You know, I, I, I want to keep them far and few between. But when I get angry, you know, I want to be passionate. And the only thing is, is then I end up doing something or saying something that I feel really bad about and have to apologize, and so I don't do that. What about you? I mean, when you get angry, do you kind of make it count? You know, or are you the kind of person that that you know if it happens? You're going to come back apologizing later because you called somebody uh, something about an animal's posterior or something like that, you know, and, and so you've got you to go back and, and make that right later. Or, or are you the kind of person that this doesn't say anything and the steam just kind of comes out of your ears and, and you know you have it, but we all express anger in different ways, but we all feel it, don't we? Sometime or another, you're angry. You're angry about something, and you should be. There are times where anger is called for. But there are two types of anger, at least two. The one is the silly anger, the one that comes from getting a parking ticket or when your sporting team loses. Of course your team's not going to win all the time. Of course they're not. And yet you still get angry about it. I still get angry about it. Of course you shouldn't get a parking ticket, but neither should you park in front of a fire hydrant. You know, I mean, there, there are things that, reasons why you should get that. The other kind of anger is what we call righteous anger. When you're angry about something that is truly wrong, when you're when you're when you're morally offended because there's something that's going wrong, there's some sort of uh, of wrong in the world that causes you to recoil. That is that's what we call righteous anger, righteous indignation, and we see an example of it in the gospel today. Did you see it? Jesus, he's angry, isn't he? Uh, take your bulletin, will you, and look with me just at that gospel lesson again? I, I want to show you something in, in verse 15 that might have just slid right by. You know, just it, it, it comes so quickly, it moves, you, you almost miss it. Verse 15, you see this? Making a whip of cords, he, that is Jesus, drove them all out of the temple. You know, it sounded like for a minute that, that John said that Jesus made a whip out of cords. Didn't it sound like that to you? You know, a, a, um, a bona fide uh, Indiana Jones type of whip. He, ma he makes a whip out of cords and you probably think to yourself, well, it's not a real whip. You know, it's not an Indiana Jones kind of whip. It's probably like, it's kind of like a feather duster whip, you know, it probably, or, or maybe like a, like a you, what, what do you call that thing that you beat eggs with? A whisk. You know, maybe it's more like a whisk, you know, he's kind of, he's kind of taunting them with it. But that's actually not the issue. In, in Mark's Gospel, Mark says in chapter 15, don't turn there, but in Mark chapter 15, he tells the story about Jesus and Barabbas. Remember this story, right? Pilate is up and he says, who do you want me to release to you, Jesus or Barabbas? And what do the people say? They all say, Barabbas, right? Right, that's what they say. Barabbas, so we release to us Barabbas. Well, what shall I do then with Jesus? Well, crucify him, they say. Well, Mark records this. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released to them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him over to be crucified. Do you think when Pilate had Jesus scourged, he did it with a feather duster or with a whisk for you know to make eggs with? Um, or did he you know did he use a little soft rope you know? To... No, that's not the way the Romans did scourging. They did it with leather whips that had pieces of bone and rock in them, so that when it hit, it not only hurt with the leather force, it also ripped the skin off. 
Jesus made a scourging instrument. The word that John uses for whip is the exact same word. It's the nominal, the noun form of the verb that Mark uses. He made a whip, a scourging instrument. And he drove the people out of the temple. Did you see that? He drove them out. He forced them. I mean, you have two choices if somebody comes at you with a scourging instrument, right? You can stay and be scourged or you can turn and run. And that's what Jesus does. He drives them out of the temple. You have to imagine this. It's outside. It's a courtyard. There are walls that go around this courtyard. But they're outside. You know? And in the courtyard, you've got some people set up at tables. It's, like a, it's kind of like a, well, like a concession stand at a, at a, at a basketball game, you know, at a little league basketball game or something like that where, where people are sitting at tables. You know, the, the takers of the money are on one side and the line is up on the other side to buy something. And there are people who are at these tables, and what they're doing is they're taking money and they're exchanging it. Maybe if you've uh, traveled abroad, you know, where you, um, you show up in the other country and you, you realize, oh goodness, I didn't, I didn't exchange my currency. I have American dollars in my wallet, and I need, I don't know, Japanese yen, or uh, I need British pounds. And so you go to this little window and you, you hand them your money and they say, hmm, Economy's not so good in America right now, and uh, you know they hand you back some money, and you say, "Oh, is this all I get, really?" And, and you put it in your pocket. Well, that's going on in the temple, in the courtyard. There are tables set up, and people are bringing in Roman coins, the coins of the whole world, and they're putting them down. And there are people that are taking that money, and they're giving them a special currency. It's called a temple currency. Okay, the only place you can use this temple currency is in the temple. And you use it for one purpose, and that is to buy a sacrifice to offer in worship. You can't just buy it with your regular Roman currency. You have to exchange the currency and then go over to another place where a vendor is waiting, and that vendor will sell you a, an animal, a, a cow or a, a sheep or a dove, depending on your ability to purchase. And, and, and so you exchange your money, and then you go over there and you, and you purchase what you need. Jesus is coming up to these people. These people who are doing the money exchange, these people who are buying uh, and selling these animals, all of which is prescribed in the Law of Moses. The Law of Moses says this, if you go to a place where the Lord shall place His name, and there uh, you wish to make a sacrifice, and it's too far for you to bring the sacrifice with you, buy it when you get there. Well, it seems natural, doesn't it? Just to buy it right inside the temple. You know you're getting a good sacrifice. It's been approved by a priest. You can, you can change your money. And these are the people that Jesus drives out with a whip. Get out of here. He goes and he starts turning over tables where they're exchanging money. I mean, think. imagine there's coins flying everywhere. Imagine the looks on the people's faces. And then he goes over and he starts opening up stalls. John says. There are cattle starting to stampede in the temple courtyard. There are sheep running everywhere. There are doves flying out. I mean, this is, a, this is a chaotic scene, isn't it? Jesus with a whip in His hand, cracking this. And it begs the question, why are you so angry, Jesus? I mean, really, why are you so angry? Don't you know that people are going to temple? They're showing up to worship. They're providing a needed service. They're a sacrifice. Why the outrage? Why are you so angry? Verse 16. Look back down again at your bulletin. The very next verse. Jesus says these words. Take these things. What things? 
these animals, this money. Take these things and get out of here. Stop making my father's house into a marketplace. I love Eugene Peterson's translation here. Stop turning my father's house into a shopping mall. This isn't what this is supposed to be. See, here's the problem. They have taken worship and degraded it into a religious version of commerce. They have taken a special opportunity and made it into just another day. They have made, listen to this, they have made the spiritual life subservient to that of, uh, of exchanging money and doing business. And I think it's real easy for us to say things like that in our own life. You know, um, I've been, a, I've been a, a priest a long time. Uh, well, at least it seems like a long time. And so, you know, many, many Sundays in a, uh, at the back of the church, and people will say things to me like, and I don't know that anybody's ever said it here, so at other churches, and, and, and they say things to me like, Oh, that was a wonderful service, Father. What a great, you know, whatever. Um, but isn't it sad we got to go back out into the real world? You ever heard something like that? Oh, that was a great church service. Too bad we have to go back to the real world. As if the world out there is the real world and this is the fake world. As if the world out there, listen, that will give you money and will give you shelter. They will move you around from place to place. They will give you all these valuable things for what? Little pieces of paper. You really can get little pieces of paper. And you give them to, and people will give you food. Sometimes they're metal, little coins. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Do you think that's the real world? The world where people give away valuable things for little pieces of paper? Is that the real world? You see, most Sundays we come in saying something like this, Blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and blessed be His kingdom. Now and forever. That God's kingdom, the kingdom of, of Jesus is the real world, not the world in which we live. And every Sunday we get a chance to do this. We get a chance to, I, 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 can I do it for real? Yeah, there, I mean, it's daylight savings time. Half the people slept in this morning anyway. So, um, you know, we get a chance to do something like this, you know. Pop our heads out and look around. And, and we get to see this place where heaven and earth meet. Did you not like that little pop-up thing? I thought that was kind of good. This, this place where heaven and earth meet. This is our opportunity to peek into the real world. Not the world that we think is the real world, the fake world that we live in. Jesus is angry. He's angry because these people have taken an opportunity for contemplation and turned it into an opportunity for commerce. They have taken a holy place and made it profane. They've confused people with the, the real world and the fake world. You know, at, at my house we have this really sweet dog. Um, her name's Lucy. Big black lab. If you came to my house, I mean, I worry if anybody ever broke in, she would just lick them to death. You know what I mean? It's, it's, she's that kind of dog. She, she loves everybody. Uh, never met a stranger. Just loves people and animals and everything um, and sometimes when I try to play rough with her you know she'll you know she'll, she'll she'll get into it but here's what she does she'll try to grab hold of my wrist or my hand and she covers up her teeth what kind of dog covers up her teeth with her lips I mean they didn't even know dogs had lips but she does she, she like tries to gum me to death you know she's gonna grab hold of my but she doesn't want to hurt me 
I think it probably is a breeding. You know, retrievers, uh, labs are retrievers. They go out and get animals, and you don't want your pheasant all, all bloodied up. And so they, they were bred to do that. But, you know, she's so gentle. We used to have another dog. His name was Soto. Soto was the anti-Lucy. Okay, he was not at all gentle. I mean, this dog was obedient, but you better watch out. You know, I can get when Lucy's eating, I can go up and play with her food, and she wouldn't do a thing. She'd just let me have it. You try to get into Soto's food when he was eating, you'd lose a hand. I mean, this dog, he was, he was no nonsense, all business. He defended our home. He wa- I mean, he was, he was obedient, he was loyal, but he was no one to be fooled with. People were afraid of Soto, and for good reason. I think sometimes we think that Jesus is always gentle Jesus, meek and mild. He's sort of like a Labrador retriever, you know? He's always just gentle and nice and never going to, you know, he's always going to cover up his teeth and never hurt you. Not a Jesus with a whip, cracking it, forcing people out. But sometimes maybe Jesus is a little bit more like Soto, a little less like Lucy, if I can make such a comparison. That he is someone who is not to be fooled with. And he wants us to know this morning that one of the most important things in our lives is worship. And if anyone tries to mess with that, if anyone tries to turn our worship of God into an opportunity for commerce, well, they'd better watch out. Because that makes him angry. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.